You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is James Pierce. I'm one of the elders here at uh, Burley Church of Christ. And um, uh, thank you for uh, tuning in to watch, and I hope that uh, God blesses you today. Uh, as you would be aware, we are going through the fruit of the Spirit. Today I'm talking about self-control, which is last in the list of the, the fruit. And um, it's, uh, well, we'll see um, what we've got to say about self-control as we move along. To properly understand, though, what Paul is talking about, uh, just go through some of the background to the book of Galatians. Early in Paul's ministry, he had travelled to Galatia, which is in the middle and southern part of modern-day Turkey. And uh, he went to three of the towns there, uh, Derby, Lystra, and Iconium, and actually quite close to Paul's hometown of Tarsus. So it's fairly natural that he would go there first. And after he had established churches in these towns, he moved on on his missionary journey, and leaving the churches behind to develop and, and, and to grow. But something unexpected happened, uh, unexpected to Paul anyway. Some people came along, and almost certainly Jewish Christians, because as you would know, most of the early Christians were all Jews first. Uh, and so some Jewish Christians came to Galatia, and they brought with them an addition to Paul's message. And effectively it was, yes, faith in Jesus Christ is all well and good, but how are you going to know how to live godly Christian lives? And the answer they brought was the law of Moses. Perfectly natural for Jewish Christians to think this way. And they said that the law would show the Galatian Christians what was right and wrong and how to live their lives in accordance with God's wishes. And as a sign of this, baptism wasn't enough. They needed to be circumcised as a sign that they were now following the Mosaic law. And word of this reached Paul. And so he then writes his letter to the Galatians in response to this. And in his letter, Paul contrasts flesh and spirit, works and faith, and law and freedom. Galatians 3, verses 1 to 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul's deep concerns for the young Christians of Galatia really comes out at the beginning of chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. I, in verse 12, I wish those who 
who unsettle you would emasculate themselves, not just cut off a little bit, but go the whole way and cut everything off. That's how strong he felt about those who had put the Galatians back under the law. The Galatians were losing the freedom gained by faith in Jesus and replacing it with bondage to the law. It was works versus faith, law versus freedom, flesh versus spirit. Paul was offering the Galatians a choice. Works, law, flesh versus faith, freedom and the Holy Spirit. And he's pleading with them to make the sensible choice to go with the Holy Spirit. And that's the backdrop to the passage about the fruit of the Spirit, which brings us to our, our passage this morning, Galatians 5, verses 16 to 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, neither of the two lists in this passage are comprehensive. There are many more marks of the flesh and many more fruit of the Spirit. They are mostly just key examples, not to be taken as a complete list. And Paul's point is to compare the behaviour of those without the Holy Spirit and those with the Holy Spirit. But here is where a great mistake is often made. Christians reading this recognise that we're not saved by works, but by faith. And they recognise that the works of the flesh are things not to do, and that the fruit of the Spirit are things we should do. But the mistake they make is to turn the fruit of the Spirit into works. They see the list of the last fruit is self-control. And they think that means they must control themselves to uh, prevent you know, slipping into the world and doing the worldly things of the flesh. They've got to control themselves so that they produce the other fruit through their own labours. Because in a sense, self-control is the one that controls everything. If you can control yourself, then you can control yourself to produce love, joy, peace, and faithfulness and gentleness and patience and all those other of the fruit of the Spirit. So self-control is seen as key here. And if you can self-control, you can do all the other things. And it's not an ancient mistake. I've read modern uh, authors who say much, pretty much the same thing. They say self-control is the key to the other fruit. Develop self-control and you can then develop the other fruit. It's a trap so easy for us to fall into. Believing that self-control is something that we have to do 
on our own strength. But what we're doing is we're taking, we're rejecting the works of the law and we are adop, adop, adopting the fruit of the Spirit as another form of works. We have to work to do these things. And so we're just swapping one lot of works for another lot of works. And we're still not free. Paul's message in talking about the fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of our labours. It's not the fruit of society. It's not the fruit of education. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian and surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you're saved. Your sins are forgiven. You're made righteous before God by the righteousness that Jesus Christ gives you. And you receive, as a gift, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is resident in your life, you are directly connected to God. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to transform Christians into the children of God. Transform us into the vision that God had of us from the very beginning. The Holy Spirit transforms us. He takes away a spirit of fear. He grows within us the fruit of the Spirit. He grows our faith and he enables us, enables us to live victorious Christian lives. Now, please don't misunderstand what I just said. I did not say there was nothing for the Christian to do. I did not say we just sit back and let the Holy Spirit do all the work. To live a full Christian life is to be someone who is actively involved in a transformation that occurs when a person becomes a Christian. So there are two errors. The first is that if a person is happy with being saved by Jesus and thinks that that's all there is to do, that's all there is to Christianity, then that person is not living a full Christian life. He or she is living a secular life with a thin veneer of Christianity, in which case there's very little difference between them and their secular neighbours. And almost as problematic is the person living uh, with a struggle a person struggling against our human nature to follow what they believe to be the rules of Christianity. The Christian life does not come about by us controlling our own behaviour. That sort of self-control is really self-restraint. It's just heaping chains upon ourselves, telling ourselves not to do things, to just say no or just make out that we have some sort of, if we just try harder, it's just setting up our own set of laws to live by. No different from the people lived under the Mosaic law. We're just living under our own laws. It can't be done. The Jews couldn't live under the Mosaic law, and we can't live under our own laws. It's just not possible. In either case, the shallow person with the veneer of Christianity or the struggling person trying in their own strength to become a victorious Christian their lives are not what they could be and not what God intends them to be. But the Christian is not a passive bystander. The key is not just the presence of the Holy Spirit, but for the Christian to allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. Now, you might have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control in abundance on stress-free days. But what happens when the pressure is on? when there are problems at work, when the, your kids are fighting, when, the, when your spouse is being unreasonable, when someone is unfair to you, 
when when bills are overdue, uh, when the neighbours are complaining, or when you're feeling sick, when the stress is on, when it becomes increasingly difficult to have the fruit of the Spirit in your own strength, what happens then? No one has that much self-control that they can force the production of the fruit of the Spirit when they're under pressure and stress and things not working out for themselves. Complete and continuous self-control is only possible through the aid of the Holy Spirit under all circumstances. Now, I want to point out again that Paul is talking about self-control, not spirit control. Our lives are not controlled by the Holy Spirit. God gives us the freedom to choose, free will. We can make any choices that we have. And the Holy Spirit will help us make wise choices, but the choices are our own to choose. And the Holy Spirit will be there to help us with developing self-control. But it's not imposed on us. It's not spirit control. It's self-control. And it's also not automatic. It doesn't just happen because you've got this presence of the Spirit. There is a role for us in this. If you, we go back and look at our passage in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 16, Paul says we have to walk with the Spirit. In verse 18, we are led by the Spirit. And in verse 25, we are to live by the Spirit. It's not a passive one-sided relationship with the Holy Spirit doing all the work. There are things for us to do. We are actively involved. We are, we are walking. We are being led. We are living with the Holy Spirit as integral to our very lives. Paul lists the works of the flesh. And they're sins that all human beings are susceptible to. But it's not automatic. You don't automatically do all those things. They occur when a person yields to the temptations of the flesh. And the, the list of the fruit of the Spirit is the same. It's not automatic. The Spirit will not produce that fruit in us without our cooperation. To develop the fruit, we need to yield to the Spirit. And, but what happens most often is that Christians resist the Holy Spirit. We fight against the Spirit and we fail to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Just as the Holy Spirit is a gift to us, so is free will. We choose. We, live or, we, we win or lose by the way we choose. And we can choose to have the free will, uh, to have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can choose to listen to the Word of God. We can choose to respond to the promptings of the Spirit, or we can choose not to. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he wrote in chapter 3, verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready. What Paul is saying, and, and is true of all Christians, is that there is a development in the Christian life. They come at the very beginning, we're used to milk, easy, light things. But as we develop and become you know, wiser as Christians and more deeply Christian, there are more difficult things for us to uh, take on board. There are more meaty things for us to consider. We are tempted. It's so much easier to stay in the milk stage. But if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, we can progress to the meat stage. The key is not to block the Holy Spirit, because that's what we do. We resist the Holy Spirit. We block 
the Holy Spirit. So what does it look like, this mature Christian life, living on the meat of the, of the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to shape and change our lives? I'll give you one example, and it's only one example. There are many examples from church history that you could go to and probably even people you know. But I was once a member of a church where there was a roster for people to do church prayers during the service. And there was one gentleman on the roster that I just wish to highlight. He was not particularly sophisticated, not particularly well-educated. And when he prayed, he made all the mistakes that we were told not to do. He used thee and thou all the time. And he had really long sentences. I tell you this because what I'm about to say about his prayers had nothing to do with human cleverness or effort. His prayers were nothing short of amazing. Every time he prayed, a sense of awe came over the whole congregation. And, you know, we would comment about it afterwards. When he prayed, you felt like you were in the presence of a man talking to God and God was actually there. Even though he had unsophisticated words, even though he did not have clever sentences, the presence of the Holy Spirit was so strong that we could feel that something special was happening. You may have heard the phrase, garbage in, garbage out. Well, the opposite is also true. Wholesome in, wholesome out. This man was not a theologian. He was nearly blind, so reading was a challenge. He certainly did not read books of theology. He had no degrees or education beyond high school. He listened to his Bible every day on cassette. He spent time in prayer with God every day. And not as a duty or as a routine, but as a pleasure just to be with God. What he put in came out. And it wasn't that he worked at spiritual growth. The Holy, the Holy Spirit took care of that. What he did was not block the Spirit by filling himself up with secular things or trying to make the fruit come through through his own controlling efforts. Now, I tell you the story about this man just to emphasize that it's a willingness to be led by the Spirit that is key. It's not intelligence, it's not education, it's not wealth, it's not possessions, it's not knowledge, it's not hard work. It's simply a willingness to be open to the Holy Spirit as the source of growth. A willingness to be led by the Spirit, a willingness to walk with the Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit develops within us. Think about Jesus. He didn't employ theologians. He employed fishermen and tax collectors, and they ran away and denied him. They were living in fear, hiding in the upper room. Then the Holy Spirit came upon them, and the next thing, they're preaching in the streets in public, they're speaking to councils and kings, and they're holding fast to their faith in the face of opposition and persecution. The Holy Spirit was the difference. The Holy Spirit grew in them the necessary skills and fruit they needed to be effective Christians living full Christian lives. Were they perfect? No. Did they continue to sin? Yes. Did they grow in the Spirit? My word, they did. Are they an example to us? Yes, indeed. What did they do? Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. None of those things are beyond us. 
But we do those things because they're the right thing to do, not in order to force the Spirit to work a miracle in us. All we need is to not block the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. If you are a Christian and have surrendered your life to Christ, he gives you the Holy Spirit as a gift. The Spirit dwells within us, connects us to God, transforms us, makes us into a new creation. 2 Corinthians 3, 17-18 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Transformed into his image by the work of the Holy Spirit, not by our own efforts to control things, but by letting the Spirit into our lives to transform us. We do have a part to play. We have choices to make. Paul in Ephesians 4 contrasts the two natures of the believer, the old man and the new man, the old self and the new self. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to, make, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We must choose to put off our former conduct if we're holding on to anything that will block the work of the Spirit, we need to let it go so the Spirit can work in us. So is the Holy Spirit working in us or are we blocking us? Are we blocking him? How do we know? Have a look at the two lists in Galatians. Which one are you moving toward? If you're becoming more Christ-like, then you're allowing the Spirit to work in your life. If you're going nowhere, then there's a good chance you're closed off to the Spirit and his work in your life. What can you do about that? Fruit needs to be cultivated. Where does fruit come from? Plants that are growing in fertile soil. The more fertile soil, the more fruit the plant produces. Here's the question. What kind of soil are you? Remember the parable that Jesus told about the sower sowing some seed? If we're rocky or thorny soil, then we cannot expect a great harvest. Therefore, we should strive to be good soil. How can we be good soil? Do we have things competing for our attention, crowding out time with the word? Are there stones, things in our lives that prevent us from connecting with the Spirit? Ask God to show you what needs to be done to turn your life into something more receptive to the Holy Spirit. When you're reading the Bible, do you take time to contemplate on the word? Do you go deep into the word or you just skim read it? Perhaps music is more to your liking. Do you listen to good music or not? Do you sing psalms, songs and spiritual, psalms, hymns and spiritual songs to honour God? Have you developed a habit of prayer on your own or with others? What about fellowship? Do you meet with other Christians and do you speak of holy things? Do you fellowship either online or in person? Do you listen to podcasts and watch videos? And if you do, what sort of podcasts and videos are you looking at? Ask God to show you what you need to do. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. He moves us in prayer. He moves us through inspiration. He moves us through that 
still small voice inside us that directs our paths. He begins the work of transformation. And if we allow him, that transformation is ongoing throughout our life. John Newton, from Amazing Grace fame, said something like this, words to the effect of, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I one day will be. But by the grace of God, I am not what I once was. We're all on a journey of improvement. We are better than we were, but not yet as good as we will be. So not just the things we might do to self-improve, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and letting God to improve us. Sure, we need self-control, but not self-control that we impose, self-control that we cultivate through listening to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to guide and shape us. So that self-control becomes natural, not something imposed on the outside, not like not like a speed limit set from the outside. Oh, I don't want to travel at this speed limit, but I have to because the rules say so. But a speed limit that comes from inside. I'm traveling at this speed because this is the speed that is a challenge for me and I am rising to the challenge and I'm doing this for the fun of it and I'm enjoying this control over my life because it's self-control, not imposed control. Wholesome in, wholesome out. Be open to the spirit. Work with him. Be fertile soil and let the fruit grow in your lives. In your small tables and small groups, here are three questions for you to think about, three items to think about. The first one is, God wants to produce fruit in you. He wants you to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So what are the things that you can do to help healthy fruit grow in yourself? And the second question, what are the main things in your life that might prevent fruit from growing in you? What can you do to change this? And the third thing is, if you agree with the desire, with you know God's desire to transform you, write a prayer telling him that you want to be transformed and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit in order to achieve this. Let's pray. Father God, it is so hard for us to let go and let you have control. Help us through the presence of the Holy Spirit to be transformed and to bear fruit in abundance. Fill us daily with your Holy Spirit. Help us to develop a spiritual form of self-control that allows us to live abundant Christian lives that glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you all.